right, so moving on just as a way of reference, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, first week we talked about God because uh, the gospel really doesn't work at all if we don't have God, okay? This is my uh, short <laughs> short uh, definition of what I mean by God, which we covered before, um, just saying that God is the supreme ruler of the universe, that he deserves our worship, and he creates and um, provides the moral standards for us, uh, and that he's also directly involved in uh, the creation, the, the universe, the world that we live in. He's involved in it. I think that that's important uh, as we move forward. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are also important to move forward, but I think as a base level of understanding, that's where um, if someone were to say, like, I've got four hours please explain what you mean. I would start here as describing uh, God even before we get to the next thing, which we started talking about last week, which is sin. Um, I'm going to just throw those up there quick. The Bible uses a lot of different words um, to correspond, and none of these are 100% accurate, okay? Because the people who used the original words use words like we use words, which is sometimes people use words to mean the same thing as another word, and sometimes they're trying to make a distinction between two words, and, you know, that's just what people do, and that's how language works. So none of these are, like, hard set in stone, but these are the different senses of sin. Uh, sin generically means missing the mark, not reaching to a standard. Trespass to cross a line, whether you know about it or not. Um, it's how you know you end up trespassing on someone's property because you don't know where the property line is. You accidentally went two, two, two trees too far, and now you're trespassing. Uh, you could know it or not. It doesn't really matter. You just you went too far. Uh, a transgression or to transgress means to break a known rule deliberately. So you said, like, yeah, I know that that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do it. Or I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so there, there is a couple of verses in the Bible that talks about how, like, there's sin, and somehow, like, sin's not nearly as bad as a transgression. Transgression's worse, and that's why. Because sin just means you didn't quite reach the mark. It's like not getting 100 in school. It's actually not that big a deal. We make it a giant deal, and it is a big deal when we consider the fact that not reaching the bar is what precludes us uh, and excludes us from being able to uh, obtain eternal life. It is a big deal because we didn't we didn't meet the mark, right? We didn't. We're just not there. However, transgression is way worse because it's like you knew you weren't supposed to do that, and yet you did it anyway, and you did it on purpose. There's no way around it. Okay, so that's why it's important for us to know that generically, as Western Christians, we would just say sin, and it means all of this. But the Bible uses different words. So, like, when you get to a verse where it says sin maybe is not as bad as transgression, then you can't be like, well, some sin, some sin, sin sometimes not as bad as sin. Like, when you just start putting sin in for everything, there are senses, right, as to what they're talking about. And in those cases, they usually use different words in order to communicate that. Iniquity, which I feel like this one is one of the more loose ones, but... Someone else somewhere said it, so I was like, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Um, is to purposely plan and to choose contrary to the standard. Okay, That one I really feel like 
iniquity gets kind of used in all senses. I feel like it's kind of like how we use sin in the Bible a lot more. However, there is another sense as to like, not only did you know that there was a rule and you did the opposite, because that could be a, um, like we'd say, like crime of passion or just like a bad judgment in the moment. This is premeditating. Like, yeah, it, it's it's what it, this is what the premeditation requirement and what we do for first degree murder, right? It's like, not only did you know you shouldn't kill someone, you sat around and thought about how to kill them, and then you did it, which arguably is worse than just killing someone and being like, oh, my bad, you know, I just smacked them with a pipe and now they're dead. I knew I wasn't supposed to hit them with a pipe, but I did it anyway. This is like, no, I was planning on killing them. I found the exact moment I wanted to kill them and I did it. And we can apply that not just to murder. Surprise. I think we do that kind of stuff all the time. Like, we're like, okay, yeah, I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but if that person makes me angry one more time, <laughs> I'm going to let them have it. Uh, so, in a sense, sin is an important part of the gospel. Why? Because sin is the bad news that the good news fixes, right? Without sin and without talking about sin, we don't really realistically have a gospel. We can pretend like we do, and people do all the time. We're like, God loves you so much, he sent Jesus to die for you. If you're not a Christian, that sentence makes zero sense. God loves me so much, he sent his son, which is already a question, Jesus, to die for me. What? That doesn't make any sense. Because there's no reason that him dying would be a good thing. And, like, why does that matter? Because I'm just here. Like, if God loves me, <laughs> why does it matter? So we have to t talk about sin. We talked about last week, which is online if you need to refresh, listen to it. We talked about how, like, uh, strategically, when we're talking to unbelievers, your best bet is probably not to start pointing fingers at their sin right away but to use your own life as an example of, like, you know, because what we talked about, uh, it's actually the Romans 3, 1 through 23, a long section, talks about our unrighteousness, God's righteousness, and how uh, there is no one that is righteous, no one at all, at all. It, like, it says it, like, three times. No one at all, not a single person is what it says, right? So if that's the case, we know that to be the case of the unbeliever that we're talking to, but it's also the, the case for you. You weren't righteous on your own account. You've fallen short. You've never reached the mark 100%. So just use yourself. And then you can pose the question, well, like, do you think you ever did anything that you know doesn't meet God's standard? And very rarely are you going to find someone who's like, no. Because at, at bare minimum, and this is what Romans also says, that their held their their conscience is at least sensitive enough to their own direction where they say like I should stop yelling at my kids. And they might not have any scriptural basis for that, but guess what happens? They still yell at their kids. So they know that they don't even meet their own standard. And then you start introducing God into the equation, they're like, oh yeah. So most of the time people are gonna be okay with that. But if you go around being like 
So you're a terrible sinner, and uh, Jesus had to die for you, and you should feel real bad about that. And so since you feel real bad about it, you should believe in it so that then you don't end up in hell. Is a whole different story than saying, hey, we've got a serious problem not a single one of us is ever going to be able to fix. Let me tell you about my problem, and the only way that my problem got fixed is because God decided to do something. He, he said, hey, hey, here's what I'm going to do, right? Because no, no matter how many good things I do, I still do bad things. And my conscience even feels bad about the things that I do that I said that I shouldn't do. Okay? So we have to talk about that. Okay? So we started getting there because Romans is always making this point. But the, the big problem with sin, you know, the, the obvious problem, there's, there's a million, right? But the obvious problem with sin is that it brings death. It brings judgment, okay? And this is the next thing that we need to talk about uh, as it relates to the gospel, at least in my order of what I'm trying to do. I think that you need to talk about it as well. Um, otherwise, Jesus dying on the cross doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense, okay? Sin brings death, okay? I got several scripture passages, and there's like a hundred more, okay? So uh, I think I have three that show this point. So first is Genesis 3, all right? Um, you can turn there, or uh, we can just remember this. Yeah, uh, this is Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, Genesis 3, the serpent comes up and says to Eve, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit in the, of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Um, earlier, this is the command that God gave to Adam, and then Adam we're supposed to relay to eat, right? And then the serpent says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they died. They started choking? No. Their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. Okay, so Genesis 2, let's see if I can find it quickly. Yep, uh, Genesis 2, verse 17, uh, 16 and 17. Uh, the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay? So God says, you eat from this tree, you're going to die. Okay? Chapter later, they eat from the tree. They don't die. Now, the only reason that that's all that surprising, you know, for us, you know, as believers, we're looking at it like, well... You know, everything God says is true, you know, you know, so we're, we're, we're quick to jump on and be like, well, we'll figure out how that works, right? But Genesis 3, okay, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, it's not that far away, right? Genesis 1 starts with what? In the beginning, God did what? Yeah, yeah but what, what did he do? Yeah, okay, so that's verse 1, but then it starts talking about it like in verse 3. 
Okay. Yeah. Yep. That repeats six times. God says, light. And light shows up. God says, water. And water just comes into existence. The way Genesis is presenting God is, God says a thing, it definitely happens. Okay? So, Genesis 3 is the first time God says, this is definitely, not just like, by the way, if you eat from this, you're going to die at some point. He's like, on the day that you eat from it, you will die. Okay? Genesis 3, they're like tricked by a snake into eating some fruit that they're not supposed to eat from. And they don't die. So, like I said, as we as believers, we like to jump all over it, right? And we have to, and we, and you know, rightfully we have to because, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look good for our God if uh, within the first three chapters of the Bible he says something definitely is going to happen and it doesn't happen. That's a problem, right? I mean, the rest of the thing is a, a major deal. Okay, so that's our first tip off. First of all, sin brings death. God said that from the beginning. Don't do this. This is what I told you not to do. Don't do it, okay? Uh, and if you do do it, the result is going to be death, okay? So we're going to put a pin in that, as my boss mm-hmm. at Wadale, like I said. And I'm like, I, don't, I think that's a grenade reference. I don't know. Uh, no, like a stick pin on the board. Oh, okay. It's so like a bulletin board reference? Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> that's what I thought. I'm going to put a pin in it before it explodes. I, uh, that's, a, that's what I thought it meant. All right, so then we're going to fast forward a really long Most of the Bible is teaching this same thing over and over again. When you sin, it results in death, okay, in various ways. Okay, so let's go back to Romans because Romans, you know, as New Testament believers, Romans is our best reference point for all things gospel, you know, presentation related because Paul's literally using Romans to write out what he believes the gospel and what he should be teaching the gospel is to a church he's never been at so that they will support him in going into the most pagan, unreached places is why he's writing Romans, okay? He's like, so just so we're all clear before I show up, here's my doctrinal statement on how people get saved, right? Okay, so Romans chapter 6. I'll get there quick. Um, again, this whole chapter um, is on the same point, but uh, starting in verse 15, it talks about um, an image of sin being a slave master. Okay, so he's using a, a metaphor here uh, to talk about this. So, uh, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves in verse 16, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed the heart, that pattern of teaching you were transferred to, and having been liberated from sin, so some somehow... You, you were a slave, and then you were set free. And now you're not a slave of sin anymore, but now you're a slave of righteousness. Uh, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offer the parts of yourself as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Okay? So Paul is using an analogy that says, like, you were a slave to sin, you were set free, but now you're a slave to righteousness. And so the same way you used to just listen to sin and unrighteousness, now you need to listen to righteousness. 
Like, it's not just like, a, oh, you get to be self-determinant, which is the lie of sin. As you get to decide what's good and evil. That's what the, the knowledge of good and evil is all about. is isn't just knowing the difference between right and wrong. God already gave them that knowledge because they knew it was wrong for them to eat from the tree, which is why when they did it and they saw that they were naked, they're like, oh, this is bad. They first disagree with God. Uh, and then they go and try to take care of it. Right, so it's not just knowing the difference between right and wrong; it's determining what is right and wrong, and that's God's job. And Satan says, "God knows that when you eat from this tree, you're going to be like God, determining right and wrong." And they're like, "Oh, cool! We get to do that. Then I'll eat from this tree." Okay, right? It's very, very tricky. So then verse 20 through 23 are the, the verses specifically that are talking about this uh, sin resulting in death. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the end of that is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that verse is packed full of a lot of things that we as Christians would need to explain. But it's a very good short definition of what we're trying to talk about here. The, why it says the wages of sin is because of the analogy that Paul is using. Okay, right? You work for sin all your life, guess what that does? Sin kills you. Seems like a really bad paycheck, right? That's the point. Sin's going to pay you death. You can listen to all you want. Your life will probably be miserable at times, and sometimes it might be pretty cool. But at the end of it, at the end of the day, the slave master's just going to kill you. Now, what you could do instead is be set free from that slave master who's going to kill you. <laughs> you know, you can get set free from that, but you're going to get then transferred to a new owner. Now, we as Americans think of that analogy and we're like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to be a, a nobody's slave, right? Slave slave, bad. I, yeah, I'm not interested. But imagine yourself in that situation. You are a slave to a terrible slave owner, and you have the opportunity for another slave owner who's not going to kill you come and say, like, why don't you come work for me? All I want you to do is do what you used to do for your old boss, which is just listen and use your life to do the things I'm asking you to do. But at the end of the day, instead of killing you, I'm going to give you eternal life. Okay? So I get it. None of us want to choose to be a slave. We don't want to go from being a free person to being enslaved. However, if you were a slave already, doesn't that sound like a much better... Yeah, it's a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, who who here wants to work for a boss that at the end of the work week is just going to kill him? No. Nobody? nobody? Uh, yep. I apparently had those verses on my slide. My bad. Right. We're going to get to eternal life later. That's way later in my schedule of things. Uh, but 
which is why we this is why you know if i'm explaining the gospel i'll use these verses and i'll say i'll explain that part later <laughs> you know because lots of the verses have are interweaving so much of this but if i'm just trying to say one thing okay like we just agreed that everybody we know including ourselves sin we don't meet the mark like we're just like even if you got a 99 you still didn't get it right we've all fallen short and it's a problem and and the reason it's a problem because you know in school you know people were always mad at kids like me who were mad that they got a 95 right everyone's always mad at them and reasonably so because 95 is pretty good but when it relates to the whole like morality in this universe and you know like even if you scored high you still didn't get it and that's a problem because judgment in the form of death is coming against all sin okay which again helps with bridging a gap between someone who isn't a believer and you because like judgment is coming on sin which means that like i'm just in much danger as you are now we know that that's not true of us anymore but our sin deserves the same thing right okay i'm gonna put another pin um yeah apparently i got those out of order there we go <laughs> so then james chapter one what uh if you want to put your finger not a pin but put your finger in romans because we'll be back um in james i'll just read it off the the slide because i copied and pasted this but james chapter 1 verses 13 through 15 i think realistically if i was starting with someone who knew nothing i would do genesis and i would do this one okay and then fill in a lot with the romans uh and other passages as needed but james 1 13 through 15 says no one undergoing a trial or depending on your translation to be being tempted um should say this i'm being tempted by god because god is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire then after the desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin is fully grown it gives birth to death so another analogy isn't that wonderful because you know you could just say this leads to this this leads to that and that leads to this which we in the west probably would love but they like using analogies and it's helpful so what james is saying is hey look if something is going wrong in your life and you're being tried you know your patience is being tried or you know you're being tempted and you feel like the only answer is to do something you know to be wrong right which would at least be a transgression but if you're trying to sit around and figure it out for a while could be iniquity okay <laughs> so when you're in that position don't say this is god's fault he's the one doing this why because god is not tempted by wrong being the head of the universe and the dictator of what moral standards there are in the universe right he doesn't get tempted by the wrong because whatever he says goes okay so he's not tempted by wrong he's never tempted to do the wrong thing and he never tells anyone to do the wrong thing because again he provides the standard he says this is right i want you here god's not going to sabotage his own wants for people to do the right thing by saying hey you know what you should do i'm going to make you an impossible situation where the only thing that you can do is do the wrong thing because that's what i really want you to do but here's what our crazy bodies and souls tell us 
it's God's fault that I'm in a position that the only answer I can think of is to do the wrong thing. James says, don't say that. Don't even think that because that's not who God is. Okay? Other places in scriptures, it's going to tell you that like God's not going to put you in a situation like that. He's going to always provide you another means to to come out from underneath that and, and do the right thing. And it might be really unfavorable for you, like, but there is always the opportunity to do the right thing. And here's what James says is, here's the deal. If, if you're going to end up sinning, let's backtrack where that came from. So this is what we can do. Every time we do what God didn't want us to do, or the opposite, didn't do what God did want us to do, let's just take a few steps back and look at it honestly. And Thankfully, the scripture does that for us, so I don't have to do that for you or for me on a one-on-one basis, but this is universal. You sinned because, what does it say? You had a desire. Where does that desire come from? Is from your from from within yourself. You're tempted when you're drawn away because of something you want, and what you want is something that is contrary to what God wants, and you want it so bad that you're willing to do something that God tells you not to do. So then you do it, but then James doesn't just say like this. That's how you end up sinning, guys, because in some ways that's really helpful. Right? In some ways, it's really helpful because when you keep doing the same wrong thing over and over again, you really need to sit back and say, like, why do I wh- – what, what do I want that I'm willing to do that? Like, what am I trying to accomplish? Because you got to get deeper than surface-level thing, right? So, like, yelling at someone out of anger because they annoyed you, most of us say, you shouldn't do that. That's not very kind, right? But you keep doing it, and you're like – well, what gives? <laughs> you know, what am I trying to achieve? What, like, what do I want? Because that wanting part of who you are from inside of yourself is the thing that constantly is telling you to do the wrong thing, or to do this other thing, or to not listen to God but to do this other plan, right? And so we have to correct the wanting if we want to correct. The act or the thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to want what God wants in order to do what God wants us to do in order to then have a different outcome. Okay, so we got to backtrack not just from doing the wrong thing, but what desire led us to do the wrong thing. And guess what? Go to Genesis 3. This is exactly what Genesis said. And James is near the end of the Bible, thanks to the printing press. But. Uh, <laughs> This is exactly what happened with Eve, right? This snake says, you can't eat from any tree, can you? Like, well, you just eat from berry bushes, right? And she's like, no, I can't eat from every tree except that one, and I can't touch it, otherwise I'm going to die. And he's like, ah, you ain't going to die. You're going to end up being God. And she looks at it. And from in her own self, she saw that it looked good and that it was good for giving her wisdom or the ability to discern or decide right from wrong. She looked at it and said, you know, I want that, not the fruit. I don't think she cared what the fruit tasted like. She wanted the ability to decide what was right and wrong. And God didn't want her to do that. So the wants separate. And she's like, okay, well, 
you know, Snake, who obviously we should all trust, says, you know, what God says isn't true. So she goes up, and of course, you know, you had the whole argument about she added, don't touch it, you know, so we can blame Adam for that probably. But, um, you know, she goes up and she takes the fruit. She doesn't drop over dead. She takes a bite from the fruit, and she doesn't drop over dead, which then Adam's like, okay, well, she didn't die, so. And then he eats of it, and he doesn't die, right? So the, you see how, like, we backtrack, and the, the, want, the desires split. And so we have to get back to that level. And it's from within. You know, there are always circumstances, there are even people who will ask you to do the wrong thing, and that's not to discount that, but the, the reality is your decisions come from inside of you. And what you decide you're going to do comes from what you decide you want. And if your wants are wrong, your actions are going to end up being wrong, even if sometimes they're right, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Because sometimes you'll treat someone with respect because what you want is for them to treat you with respect. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of life, not everything is one-to-one. So you got to track back to the wanting part of who we are. And this goes back to our conversation, which is why it's still labeled sin, even though technically we're talking about death, is that there's something severely broken with us. And if you read in Genesis that... Okay, this happened. Their eyes opened. They realized that they were naked, so they're like, oh, that's bad. And then they went to go put clothes on. They made they made clothes out of the leaves, and then they hid from God, right? It shows us, one, that you know they were aware that they had done something they weren't supposed to do. And now the, the result is now there's shame and things that God said there wasn't shame in, and now they disagree with God, and now that's awkward. And so then they have to go about hiding themselves. And then ultimately they get kicked out of, out, out of Eden, meaning that none of their offspring can be born in Eden. Okay, And that's how I metaphorically understand the problem of the human race. Um, so for this, you know, to use a word that Cindy loves to hate, uh, we will go to Romans 5 to see Paul's treatise on this. <laughs> What's wrong with you? That's why you had to define it. <laughs> No, I defined it this morning and realized, like, I should just use this. should just use this. Start in verse 12, as with all things from us, you should read the whole chapter. But uh, verse 12, therefore, just as sin, which we've been talking about, entered the world through one man and death through sin. Okay, so here's, here's what we got so far. We're blaming, which is totally fine. Uh, it's Adam's fault that sin came into the world to begin with. And because sin came into the world, so did death. Okay. Because we're running short on time, death was not part of the original God's plan of creation. Adam and Eve, guess what? They died. Albeit like 900 years later, uh, but they died, right? But the separation from God wasn't instantaneous, but it was immediate. That day they got kicked out of the garden, and then there were 
guardian angels put up so they couldn't get back in. And the big problem with that is, like, the Garden of Eden was a really good place to be in, and the, you know, outside was, like, wilderness. It was not great. And then they got their curses given to each one of them. Adam's now got to sweat to death to grow things, and the earth is going to work against him. Instead of an Eden, they're just walking around and eat fruit all day. Uh, and then Eve is going to have pain in childbirth. And the reason that that matters is, again, we'll talk about this next week because we're going to talk about Messiah. But uh, the reason that's the problem is because it's through their offspring that someone's going to come and rescue them and bring them back into the garden. So then, you know, in order to accomplish that, she's going to go through a whole lot of pain. So life now isn't great. Okay, it's broken. So sin entered the world through one man, death through sin. Okay, so death came into existence because that is the punishment for sin. In this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, how do we know that sin is a universal thing? Because people die. Okay, there's very limited exceptions to that in scripture. Uh, and so much so that some theologians speculate that they actually have to come back so that they can die. Anyway, that's a big a thing. But anyhow, there's very limited exceptions to that. Death spread to all men. It's a universal experience. We all expect to die someday. There's whole businesses set up on the fact that you're going to die. In fact, there's like a whole betting system about when you're going to die called life insurance. Uh, <laughs> verse 13. In fact, sin was in the—Paul's talking about the law because he's talking between Jewish and Gentile people, right? In fact, sin was in the world before the law, okay? So even before God gave Moses the law, okay, so pre, pre-Moses, so Abraham and all these other people, there was sin. There was people not making the mark, okay? But sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. But it's understandable that people would sin when they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, what is right. It's kind of what it's saying, right? So God overlooks some of that. However, we know that it doesn't overlook all of it. Why? Because before the law, people still died, which is what it says <laughs> in verse 14. In Paul, in Paul, not in, not in Caleb. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So even before the law, everybody died, okay? Even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. So even people who didn't meet the mark and didn't know it, who maybe uh, trespassed instead of transgressed the law, like Adam. Adam knew what he wasn't supposed to do, and they sat there and they made a plan to do it anyway. Okay, so even like death is the punishment on sin, which is the lesser form of evil of all of it, right? So even the people who didn't sin against what they knew to be wrong because they had no written law from God yet about exactly what to do or not to do, they still died, okay? So, uh, and and then it says he's the type of the one, the, the coming one of Christ. So now, now we're blending into a little bit next week, but what Paul, Paul is going to say is that Jesus and how Jesus is going to work is similar but so drastically different than Adam uh, because here's the deal. One dude... Uh, transgressed against a known rule of God and it fell on all of his descendants that they were going to die. Death entered the world through that one guy's sin. Okay? 
uh, and we know this to be the case because even before the law came in to tell everybody what to do so that now that their sin became worse, which I think might be in here, might be somewhere else, that the law actually makes sin worse, not because, like, well, in some aspects it is like, now that I know what I'm not supposed to do, now I want to do it more. But it makes it worse because now you know what you shouldn't be doing, and yet you do it anyway. You, you now know, like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I make the plan to do it, and I do it anyway. But even before the law came in, before Moses, Adam to Moses, people died. Which means even the less lesser form of wrongdoing, of sin, of being a 99% decent human being, you still die. Because that's the judgment on sin. Okay? Now, how is this pictured? I'll open up for our first actual question, and we'll pass it around the microphone. How is this pictured in the Bible, the correlation between sin and death? And don't, don't, don't steal the Jesus thing. Leave, leave, that, leave Jesus alone for right now. I would love to. Can someone else that knows what I'm asking rephrase? <laughs> what What does the Bible talk about? What stories, what people, what uh, circumstances can you think of where the Bible is – because sin and death are linked. Okay, In what ways does the Bible show that they're linked? I think might be my best question. And if we're way off board, I'll, I'll keep doing um, bumper – for uh, bowling, and I'll be like, well, we're just going a little ways over here. <laughs> so I would say that the uh, sacrificial system brought it about because an animal had to die. So you've got the death, and you've got the blood, and you've got the story of Passover to explain it all. Way to decode my question, because that's exactly the answer I was looking for. Anyone got other answers, though? Because I'm more than willing to hear your other answers. <laughs> Me all that. I don't really have okay. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Notice how like before the law, people still died, right? Yeah. But then when the law shows up, and Michael's done a great job of teaching us that through Leviticus and Exodus, and I'll, I'll, you know, eventually it gets repeated again in Deuteronomy. But uh, the law comes in, right? And it tells you, you guys got a serious problem because here's where God expects you to be, and ain't none of us getting there. Okay. But the great news, even about the law, which we love to rag on, is the law knew that you weren't going to, which is why a whole section of the law is dedicated to when you don't meet the standard, this is what you do, so that you can then be brought back into grace, graces of the community and in the graces of God, and, you know, your sin is taken care of. But the only way that your sin is taken care of is through death. It's very consistent through the Bible. It's the only way to deal with sin is death. Any other means that we try to correct what's wrong and all this other stuff doesn't work. The only thing that works is death, which you know accounts for like 75, 80% of all these Christianese sayings and phrases that we like to talk about, um, especially the ones that have anything to do with blood. Okay, Washed in the blood... Um, any, any, honestly, anything with blood in it, I'm trying to think of, I, I really don't like using those words and stuff, because, you know, it's just not who I am, but there's a lot of sayings about blood, and the Bible talks about blood a lot, 
Well, why? Because that's how sin is taken care of, okay? Not through physical blood. You know, we ain't get real mystical, like, but, but death, right? Okay? Death is what helps deal with sin. Uh, yet, what is the deal with the sacrificial system as it is given in the Old Testament? Like, why are we not, like, still doing that? Well, right. Like, that, well, that's the answer, so. Right, but, but for, like, the Jews who aren't still sacrificing anything, like, what's their problem? Mm-hmm. So the problem with the sacrificial system, which even the sacrificial system knew, so you're just going to keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. Because you keep not meeting the mark. And this is what Hebrews talks about, right? Is that you're going to have to keep doing that. You're going to have to, like... And the reality is, for how many people there are in the world right now, that there's not enough animals in the world for us to constantly sacrifice in order to keep taking care of our own sin. And that is why Jesus is a better sacrifice, because he's not an animal. He's a person. And so that's what we're going to end up talking about a little bit next week. This is why Jesus is a big deal. Like... I, there's like a million things that make Jesus a really big deal, but like we can sometimes get lost on it because we just we we just summarize it. Like here's what Jesus died on the cross to provide forgiveness for the sins of those who believe, and we we just let that spew out of our mouth without realizing the depth that's there. And sometimes that depth is actually what helps make it make more sense because our sentence only makes sense if your understanding of that depth. When you hear that sentence. Because Jesus' death on the cross, even if he was God, and even if he was perfect as a person, still doesn't fix our sin problem. Just because we found the one righteous person that we never thought we could find and we killed him. Like, that doesn't work. Okay? This doesn't solve our sin problem. There's much more to it than, oh, Hey, look at that. We accidentally killed the perfect person instead of listening to him, which <laughs> figures because we're a bunch of sinners, right? That doesn't, like, that doesn't provide salvation. The reason that has to happen is because of this concept that death is the correct judgment on sin. And we all expect to die. You know, at some point, maybe some of us won't die. And that will be cool. Um, but, like, that is our universal expectation. Okay? That's how life goes. And, you know, as uncool as that is, as believers, we say, well, it's kind of fair. Because <laughs> all of us have sinned. And death passed to all of us, and that makes sense. Uh, and that's the only way to deal with sin. The good news is that, like what Romans said, in chapter 6, 23. That it sounds a whole lot like the same thing. Sin is going to kill you in the end. Right? It's going to pay you death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not death. And as I like to explain it. 
because we got two minutes. Oh, wait, I don't got it. We got four minutes. I'll probably take all of them, I know. Uh, is that the biblical concept of death uh, is, is not limited to just when people die and we bury them. Um, in its most generic, which is usually the most unhelpful definition possible, <laughs> death is utilized in the Bible as an understanding of separation. Okay? Death, uh, at, from a theological standpoint, is the separation of your soul from your body. And if you're a traditional dichotomist or trichotomist, you're like, yeah, see, there's my point. Um, and Cindy's like, what? Um, but death is not, from from my understanding, is not a divinely, naturally occurring state of being. That's what I was looking for, state of being. Your soul is designed to be in your body, and your body is designed to have a soul in it. And death is the unnatural state of being for us because listen if you got a dead body and ain't nobody in it you don't call it a person like you don't ask it why it's not going to work right and if you have a soul with no body you don't really have like a person it's like it's just one of those things where it's like that's not cool like we as people are designed to be united together as body and soul which is why God's going to resurrect our dead bodies and bring our bodies back because it's an unnatural state of being for people. Okay, it might be a natural state of being for other beings, but it's not for people. Okay, so d death is a separation of your immaterial part of who you are from the material part of who you are, and that's unnatural. And God's going to fix that, which is great news. Um, but that's what we can start seeing that although Adam and Eve did eventually die, physical death isn't the only thing that was in the purview of when God says, if you eat from that tree, you're dead. And we even use this when we're really mad at someone, usually our family, uh, say, you're dead to me. You're just, you're not in my life anymore. And that is the, the, the immediate problem that comes from Adam and Eve's sin, is that they are said, nope, you're, you're now separated from eating, you're separated from God, you're separated from this life. Because you decided you wanted something different, and now you have it. But the good news is that there is a way back. Okay? We're going to leave it there. Thank you all for coming.